I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. I very frequently tell you about the wisdom of the people that I host. I rarely ever tell you about what's happening on Slow Mo, which has now exceeded 200 episodes and has been uh, the number one podcast in the United Kingdom on well-being for the last uh, six weeks or something like that. Uh, We have been doing amazing thanks to you. I think what ended up happening is somehow my complete confusion about what this podcast is about has led to interesting conversations that got people to to introspect, to really think deeply about things that we don't normally think about. And this has always been my target. My target has been, I wanted to take an hour of your time on a weekly basis so that you can reflect on a topic we rarely ever give the time to so that we reflect about it. And I think what we've done so far is we've allowed ourselves to go everywhere, to go into spirituality, sometimes into business, sometimes into finance, a lot of the time around empowering the feminine, a lot of the time around the topics that we struggle with on a daily basis. And it's been amazing in every possible way. I'm so grateful and so thankful, as I always say, for the opportunity that you give me to host amazing guests all the time. But then I had that brilliant idea, I think, around a few months ago where I said, now that the lockdowns are over, maybe it's about time to go and meet with those guests. A bit of what the wonderful Anthony Bourdain used to do, uh, hunting for food. I am attempting to do uh, hunting for wisdom. I wanted to go around the world and basically find the people that will give us uh, their stories so generously everywhere in the world. Uh, And hopefully, as I go out there and find those stories, another brilliant idea came to my mind, which is why not also hunt for coffee? I know most of you know how uh, much I love coffee. And so I find myself in that space where we're number one uh, in the UK. I'm going to the UK. I had a few guests lined up and I asked my friends, would a coffee shop host us? And so a friend of a friend and a friend of a friend, you know how it works. My wonderful, dear friend, Alice Law, who's my co-author on our next book, Unstressable, happened to know the founder of one of the best places in London, Farm Girl. I didn't know, actually, that the reason it was called Farm Girl was because that she was originally a farm girl. I'll talk about that in a minute. But then... Basically, Alice uh, spoke to Rose and asked if Rose wanted to host a popular podcast. And uh, Rose said, Mo, I know Mo. I've watched his work before. Nice guy. Why not? All right. So I uh, and Rose agreed that I will host a few episodes here, I think. But I thought it would be a very good idea to host Rose herself. Rose Hood is the co-founder of Farm Girl in London, which is a bit of healthy food and good coffee. 
And I will testify to that. Of course, before I took any steps, Rose, I apologize. I tested the coffee so so that I don't tell my listeners anything that's not true. So I love it here. Uh, the team has been very, very kind to me. And we're going to be filming a few episodes here in Farm Girl going forward. Rose Mann, originally the young child, now Rose Hood, after marrying her co-founder of Farm Girl, is a mother of an eight-year-old child. She is a successful woman entrepreneur in her young years who has built a brand that is about doing good, bringing healthy to her clients. She went from a farm outside Melbourne to the busy, busy city of London and with a very, very interesting success story. So uh, we're going to be covering that. We're going to be covering a bit of coffee today. So uh, sit still to understand uh, what makes a coffee good. And uh, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with uh, Rose Hood, uh, co-founder of Farm Girl. Uh, Rose, thank you for hosting me. I don't know. I, I normally would tell the guests, thank you for coming. But this time I'm the one coming. Yes, yes, you are. Welcome. Welcome Thank to you. London. Oh, yes. I, lo- uh, I never know if I should love it here or hate it here. I have to admit, and I'll say that very openly, my impression of Australia when I was on Aus- in Australia was normally uh, a much more laid back uh, place than it is here uh, in London. And I want to come to this, but I asked you before we started if you loved it here. And your surprising answer was, yes, I do. I mean, I would have definitely lived in Melbourne. Yeah, everyone says that to me. Why did you move <laughs> to London? Yeah. Um, I, so my mother is English. So uh-huh. I have, a, every, in our childhood, every summer we would come over to England ah. for the polo season. My father was a polo player and that's how he met my mother. And we have a lot of family here. And I always sort of had this deep I didn't love England, the countryside. And when I when I would come to London, we would stay with friends. And I just always had very, very fond memories of it. You do know I have Australian listeners too. So what are we going to say about <laughs> Melbourne? No, Melbourne is amazing. It's amazing. I grew up outside of Melbourne. Then I went to a boarding school outside of Melbourne. And so I grew up on farms about three hours. Well, one of them is three hours away mm. from Melbourne. And we, you know, we had sheep and cattle and dogs running around and it was sort of after school activities were feeding the lambs with dad or, you know, mm. taking out the hay to your horse. And mm. so it was very different from mm. London life. And it was amazing. It really was, Australia is an incredible country. Mm. And I moved to Melbourne after school at university. And I think my father insisted I sort of spread my wings a little bit and get out of the social scenes of Melbourne. Interesting. And just wanted me to travel, I think, and, mm. and experience a bit more of the world. Mm. So I'd moved to London and I was supposed to be here for three months originally, but I just fell in love with it and I started working and fell in love with the boy, you know, the same story, <laughs> yes. stayed. Yeah. And uh, here I am 13 years later. Okay, so and, and, and you came to what, study? You came to... I came to, well, study. I mean, yes, <laughs> I think that's what my father thought. I came to study and then... Study a boy. I was, yes, studying. <laughs> I was doing an art history course, a short course, uh-huh. and working at the same time. Uh-huh. But I think it was more about just being in a different space, mm. living in a big city. But I just, my father really would like, wanted me to go and experience that mm. um, before then deciding what I would actually do with my future. So, yeah. How did Farm Girl start? So Farm Girl started in 2015. 
So I moved to Notting Hill um, and I was very frustrated with the offering of coffee and good food. There was either really amazing restaurants, the terrible, terrible coffee, and there was about two good coffee shops, but they were far away from Notting Hill. Like one was in Fitzrovia. It's called Lantana. It's still running today, owned by Australians. So I would <laughs> I would travel from Notting Hill to to Fitzrovia for a mm. coffee, and I was so frustrated with it because quite Australian of you to do that, right? <laughs> and also wait in a two hour queue for a flat white. I mean, oh, is that true? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because this was the only one of the only places at the time. Mm -hmm. And I really felt that the lack, there was a huge lack of healthy, fresh food in London at that time. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of pub food, delicious dinner food, but I didn't think you could get a very good, quick, yummy salad sort mm -hmm. of thing. So anyway, I'm super still, frustrated. Still, actually, I would tend to believe this is true. There are, you know, you get to find more and more. Yeah. But a simply healthy, wholesome salad is actually difficult for me to find. Yeah, there's. It's sort of each area has rare gems of places, but yeah. it's not every single place. You know, mm. there's what, six or seven restaurants on this square, and I would say I'd probably eat a good salad in two of them. Mm. I mean, you know, and mm. but but I mean, I sound like I'm slagging off the. Uh, The others, but they're fantastic no, but for other, other, other things. things. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're they the opposite. You know, it's mm. amazing, but you wouldn't eat a salad there. Mm. But so I was missing that. And mm. I really, um, it, it frustrated me so much that I think I just am so stubborn. And I said, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> Instead of just like normal people, I am going to make a salad at home. I'm going to make a place where I can go to have a good salad. All yeah. right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and so you started, I know that everyone I ask about Farm Girl will, will tell me about Notting Hill. Yeah. Uh, which is my favorite part of London. Uh, I think it's very, very charming. Uh, and, and now what do you have? So we run six food businesses, but five of them are farm girls. Okay. Um, the Notting Hill one was the first one that was amazing. I, I used to walk down the top of the Portobello Road ever since I moved to London. And I, there was always this tiny little courtyard. And I used to look down and think, that's so sweet. And it's funny how the way the world works, because that's the cafe that I found. Mm -hmm. And I was rejected from getting that site um, by the real estate agent. The agent, the landlords, they rejected me about three times. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think, God, how old was I at that time? 23. And I felt so rejected by this. And But I just kept going back and annoying them, knocking on the <laughs> office door. Yeah. It's me again, you know, and just pestering them until they sort of looked at my business plan properly and mm. and then took a risk on me, I guess. And um, so we opened that one. And then a few years later, we got approached by uh, – well, we opened a few little – other things sort of in between but we shut them down in the end just there were sort of little projects and in office buildings and things but we had a, we got approached by the founders of sweaty betty which is a you know big women's wear active wear brand and tamara the founder of sweaty Betty, said i love farm girl and i want to be, create this building with a cafe space a studio gym space and the clothing space um would, will you guys come and do it with us so we did so that was our second site in soho on carnaby street which was amazing it's still running today um it was shut for 14 months oh. during covid but mm. it's bounced back really quickly it's it's actually incredible how, how did you survive covid it's such a funny thing for us i and i feel weird saying this but i should be more proud of it but we actually came out stronger Um, obviously not financially, but in so many ways, had COVID not happened, we wouldn't have made the decisions that we, that we made. So we sort of re, we had time, my husband and I to sit back, reevaluate the business. And we just made some decisions that we wouldn't have never have done. And it was so the business now is running better 
our teams are better. I think everyone's a little bit more motivated and we've made some better decisions since. So what makes that a reality? I, I talk about that quite a lot. I mean, for some people, when COVID hit, they literally just cried suffered, struggled. It was very, very difficult, especially if you're in the food business and the entertainment business or whatever, right? Travel and so on. Many, many businesses really struggled, but some businesses actually found a way to thrive. What do you think the difference was? I think it was people's drive and motivation. I mean, I, so many restaurant owners, it was quite incredible, actually, the first few months of lockdown to see the business pivot, like, you know, all of a sudden you were seeing coffee shops quickly creating their own apps. So you could order from like a tiny little window. So there was one person in the coffee shop and then the, you know, there was just all this, like people just all of a sudden quickly pivoting to becoming grocery shops. I was walking around Notting Hill and there's all these cafes, which were then becoming, you're selling, you know, milk, granola, crisps, loo roll. That's what we did. I mean, we just ended up, I think it was community. It was a massive community thing. It gave everyone a buzz. And because you'd see other people doing it, you felt, okay, you're not alone. So it is it is working. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't easy. I think that our staff suffered a lot. I have a lot of staff that really had a tough time in lockdown. And we tried our best to sort of rotate them as the ones that would come and help in the day when we were open for takeaway only. Mm-hmm. The deliver, delivery, sort of delivery and Uber Eats, was an incredible part of it um, because we our business on delivery and overeats was never strong and then all of a sudden lockdown happened and we were booming. Um, avocado toast flying out on bikes, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think it was the sort of community thing. I think also obviously having the online presence, Instagram and all these things. I mean, you're constantly looking at things that were happening in lockdown. I and, mean, yes, it was incredibly hard, but people really navigated their way through it day by day but and basically uh, you know there is that element of you know i can do something it's not just you know it's not the end of the world basically and and those who did things actually found ways to live through it and then found ways out of it i believe yeah exactly i think sort of after about i think six months you sort of felt okay this is coming to an end and then you sort of back into lockdown and i know yeah it's just this constant i mean and the government here i i genuinely think they did a really good job at supporting us. I mean, we didn't really get, none of our sites qualified for the cash grants or anything, but the whole furlough scheme worked, you know, there were, there were things that helped. And because again, like we were all in the same boat. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of restaurants, Mm. everyone struggled and it was hard, but we were all in it together. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it was just communicating all the time. We were doing staff meetings all the time and, and, um, you know, just catching up with, we had a big like staff sort of virtual drink one time during lockdown, which I think was quite fun just to hear what everyone was up to and Mm -hmm. who'd taken up, you know, online yoga and things like this, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah. Who who didn't? I mean, almost everyone did. I didn't. Uh, Tell me about the experience of being an entrepreneur, um, young woman entrepreneur in, in a foreign country. So not foreign, but in a, you know, in a country that you didn't know before. So it's been pretty amazing. London's really inspiring for women and especially in business. There are constant like seminars, events and things all. I've been asked to talk on a few panels about women in business. And I mean, some of my best friends own incredible companies and are running them. And I'm just, I sometimes I look at them and they've got, 
you know, two young children at home. They've got these huge offices that they have to go to every day. And they just, everything seems so easy. And they're also the ones that are always impeccably dressed. Their hair is always in, like, looks like if she's, they've just stepped, stepped out of a salon. Whereas I'm constantly sort of running around like a mess carrying, you know, heavy boxes in this. So my, <laughs> my side of it is a lot less glamorous. I think people sort of don't, they think they think that I sit in an office and sort of delegate, but it's actually very unglamorous. My job, I'm constantly running around from site to site carrying broken plates or this or that or a supplier's forgotten to drop the milk so I'm rushing off to another very unglamorous side of it but I also do the really fun stuff like the menus and you know and that's yeah but no I think the whole like as I said London for women in business I think is a fantastic city I think they're, they're really supportive super inspiring the companies that are run by women here are pretty amazing you're probably, I mean, I haven't noticed that before you said it, but it seems to be quite interesting. I have quite a few entrepreneur women friends who have done really well. I find that they're mostly in beauty and healthcare and fashion, yeah. which in in my mind is very clever because you know what, this is an area of strength for you. So you might as well capitalize on that. Yeah. You chose coffee. I did. Okay, why? So you, you wanted a good coffee, yeah. but what made you convinced that you can make a good coffee? Research. Okay. A lot of research. I think, again, like growing up and moving to Melbourne after school and you are faced with every second shop on a street has got a good it does oh a good God. coffee. I don't Best know how, I don't know why. On the planet. I mean, I'm making this public announcement. There is not a country on earth that is more fussy about its coffee. It's bizarre. It really is. It's, you should be proud. Also, you should change the flag. Yeah, yeah. Like the flag should have coffee beans on it. it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I, I don't know, the Australians are so, I guess it's the attention to detail, but they are a laid back bunch really laid back but to make a good coffee the equipment the stock the training that goes into the barista it's just not that easy and then but the thing is with the baristas they have this skill and this passion i mean you don't often find a barista who doesn't like the, that's job, the whole thing who can't make a good you know the, so our barista here for example he's called ricardo he's fantastic but he loves his job he's so funny about the coffee machine and he doesn't like anyone else sort of touching it because they'll sort of mess it up for him. And they have this amazing Sounds attention like to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's just, I didn't know all this before I opened a coffee shop, by the way. I oh. just assumed, oh, you know, everyone can oh, do it. No. Put the machine in, you plug, press a button. No, 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 there's no pressing buttons. You have to time every shot. You weigh every shot. Uh, you know, and we make hundreds and hundreds of coffees a day. And here are my baristas. So you weigh every one of them? Every shot, yeah. I mean, oh. some of them, I'm sure, they sort of quickly you know, do it by eye, but, you know, most of them, they weigh every shot. Our machines are not set to automatic, so they have to time the water that goes in. So we have a set recipes. Mm. But, you know, I can't take all the credit for this because my coffee supplier, who's, which is an Australian-owned company called The Roasting Party, mm. they are the magicians and they have, like, sort of basically created the coffee culture in Farm Girl because they've just been, you know, on tap support for me. They're amazing. They're all these Aussie boys who come in and do the deliveries. And every time they deliver our box of coffee, they jump behind the machine. They speak to our barista on shift. They look at everything for us. And that's 
that's where the passion is coming from. It's coming from the supplier, um, which is just, it's, yeah, it's a very, very good service. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's quite interesting for me because I spent a big part of my life with the passion for coffee that was not about sipping a cup of coffee. You know, in a way, if you're very systemic about how you make your coffee, there are clear recipes where you can make it go very well. But, uh, but I think the idea of the soul of coffee, if you want, the, the reality is that every blend is different. Every blend is roasted differently. Every roast needs to be handled differently. And there is that background conversation that coffee lovers will have about, you know, exactly if this actually needs to be ground differently, if it needs to be brewed differently. And, you know, there is no way you can, you can sort of standardize this because by definition, it's an organic product. So, you know, you're going to get the next batch next week, which will still be slightly different than yeah. this batch. And I think the idea, you know, that, that conversation you're talking about where the supplier will sit with the barista and go through that whole idea of, I no, I think you need to, you know, we need to adjust this differently. It's quite a, it's quite an, uh, an important part of it. Uh, so how many coffees do you drink a day? Do you know what? I am a very weak coffee drinker. I drink two maximum. Two maximum is better than I do. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I drink as many as I like, but I only drink one caffeinated. Yeah. Uh, and it's normally before 11 a.m. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and I think the world has been saved by decaf, to be honest, yeah. because in an interesting way I've been studying recently, I I'm working on editing my next book with Alice, actually, our common friend. And I read her work. So she wrote the chapter that was called uh, Physically Stressed about how we stress our bodies physically, not just feel stress emotionally and mentally and so on. And I actually, I got quite surprised by how many of the things that she suggested you shouldn't do to stress your body, I was doing extensively. And, and we all are. It's really quite, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, I, we, we were editing together today in the morning and I said, you know, this is a really good book because if it has changed me and now I am decided that I will change a few things. So I'm, I'm making a very conscious decision of lowering caffeine, not coffee. I drink a lot of coffee, but not caffeinated ones and uh, no sugar and more hydration. I think I started to do this a week ago after editing the chapter and it just makes a massive difference. Yeah. yeah. I think also healthy food, which is quite an interesting side of what you do. What defines healthy in your view? So fresh, fresh food, less things that are not preserved. I mean, we really try and use very little chemicals in our, in the restaurants. Um, we don't, our freezers are tiny. We have little, we just try not to have many, you know, our waste is very, very low. And I think it's about, I think our suppliers, I think, 80% of our stock that's coming in is fresh fruit and veg. Mm. And then the rest is, you know, the dairy products and the chicken and the fish. But, and we, we're not vegan, but, you know, a huge, huge customer of ours is. So, so that's, for me, it's balance and fresh food mm. um, for sure. But, you know, I'm not, I was vegan for two years and I have to say it's probably the best I've ever felt, ever slept. Is that true? Yeah. And then I got pregnant and, Try being vegan and pregnant. <laughs> so. I can't, I can't, even if I wanted to, but. <laughs> I found it very difficult. Is it? Hats off. I just was craving 
chicken. I actually found myself craving miso salmon and chicken and like these sort of flavors and proteins. They say in the Middle East where I come from that the mother's cravings are the cravings of the child. So the child is sort of like, give me more protein now. And then you you go like, okay, sire, I shall uh, shall oblige. I have no choice but to. Uh, Well, Benji, my my child was craving the whole time. What would you would you go back to vegan? Uh, I'm I would say I'm ninety percent vegan. I'm allergic to dairy, so that helps cut out that that side of it. Mm. Every everything, yogurt, cheese, yeah, everything. I, yeah. I, I no, I, I'm allergic to lactose. Sorry, mm. so I can have things like parmesan, goat's cheese, but I try not to because I just I feel like it's better all or nothing in that side of it. Mm. Um, so no, no, I think. Would I go back all the way vegan? I'm sort of tossing and turning. I just think it's, it's not a commitment. It's, it's not like people are going to you know, hold no, you to it. No, you know? no. <laughs> I get so sort of stressed about the decision, but I shouldn't. Like, I, th- I think life is too short. And, mm. you know, when I'm in on holiday with my, my family, it's finally able. I saw my father the first time in three years the other day. And, you know, we're at a lovely fish restaurant. And what am I going to do? Order the green salad? Like, no. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can do better than that. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been actually always, always had that view. I wrote about this, I think in my last book in, uh, in uh, that little voice in your head for a very long time, I actually struggled to define what I am. Yeah. So I wasn't really vegetarian because I ate seafood then I don't anymore. Yeah. I wasn't really uh, you know, when I stopped eating, there was a time where I stopped eating seafood and any kind of uh, of meat and so on. And I stopped drinking milk. So that would make me vegan. But I didn't really, I wasn't really vegan because I still had some cheese. And, you know, eventually I realized I'm a motarian. I just yeah. eat what Mo likes. Yeah. And I just don't want to be, yeah. And I just yeah. don't want, yeah, don't want to be defined as a category. Yeah. Like, why should I fit within anything? Yeah. And, and it's in, interestingly, you know, nowadays I have, I mean, there are things I really don't like. I don't like red meat. I don't like fish anymore. Somehow I suddenly stopped, sadly, or not sadly, I think, because of watching Seaspiracy, uh, if you've watched that. I stopped eating fish for, well, actually, that was around the time I became vegan. Mm, yeah. I couldn't, but then... I don't, I'm not a big fish eater. And if I eat it, it's, you know, I'm quite funny about where my, all my produce comes from. I'm quiet. I think not a big anything is probably the answer in my view. I think what we're doing is there's nothing wrong with eating anything as long as it's not every day, three meals a day. It's just that concept of us having moved in the modern world to the idea of, I want a lot of everything. Yes. Yeah. Well, we overconsume. We overconsume everything. Yeah. And it's a real struggle. I think you're right. It's the pressure of putting a label on it. And I struggle with that every day. Mm. So I sort of think, oh, well, I said I would eat, you know, no gluten today. And then all of a sudden I eat gluten. And then you feel so bad about it. It's like, I mean, ridiculous. Just mm. relax. It hasn't done anything. Yeah. 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 It's just that excessive, uh, yeah, rules, rules. I think. Yeah. Mm. Can I ask you about doing business with your husband? That's quite a scary prospect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is sometimes very yeah. scary. Is it? Uh, who's who's yes. the boss? Like, we're going to send him a copy of this podcast, but who, who's the boss? Uh, we argue about this a lot. I'm the boss. <laughs> okay, no. you are. Well, I know we, I, in my mind, I think that I'm sort of the boss because I founded the company originally. 
Oh, he okay. got involved very quickly. Mm. He built the whole of the company with me. Okay. And he is very much the boss. And were you guys a couple then? We were. We'd been together for just over a year. And mm. he moved back to, he was living in Madrid at the time. He moved back to London to be with me. And was Good looking man. To, yeah, Good man. Yeah. We like you for that, yes. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. then he was looking for a job in the mining sector, which is what he did previously. Couldn't really find anything in London. And I said, well, while you're sort of looking for jobs, why don't you help me with the stuff that I find really difficult? So setting up the till systems, the POS systems, the Wi-Fi, the insurance, boring, the stuff that I think is very boring. <laughs> and he loves, which is great. <laughs> he loves boring <laughs> stuff. <laughs> he loves it. So he said, why? Sure. And then he sort of started doing it full time. And then I said, look, okay, well, you know, if you want to do this full time, maybe you should match my investment. So this isn't going to be an awkward conversation later. And he did. He matched my investment. So we're still 50-50 today, uh-huh. which is, is fantastic. But we, you know, we make a really good team, Anthony and I. He's, he is very difficult sometimes, as am I. And the hardest thing is that you bring it home with you. I was just going to ask. Yeah. So whether you? it's, it could be the best thing that's happened all day or you know then that's amazing because you come home on such a high but of course then then you have the lows and the lows are hard and especially when the lows are at midnight and you're at home together and you know you go through everything together there's no break ever ever shouldn't there be a rule like basically work is not coming home we're not going to talk about Try work. telling that to my husband oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah that's actually quite <laughs> he interesting he is a actually. workaholic i mean there's been times where we have Actually, it's now the nursery, but we, where we used to sleep, we have a, it sounds very luxurious. It's not. We have a, a bathtub in our bedroom and I would actually lock our bedroom door so he couldn't come in and ask me questions about work while I was in the bath because mm-hmm. I was like, this is my time. Just give me one hour mm-hmm. just to not. But then, of course, I would be sitting in the bath looking at my emails. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's workaholic. I mean, it's, it's an addiction, mm-hmm. full addiction. So is that is that what entrepreneurship is all about? I think so. Yes, in my mind, it very much is. Would you want to do that forever? I like the idea of saying no, but I think if we're not going to be doing this forever, we will be doing something that is we're we're fully addicted to the to the I don't know the buzz of it. I guess it's it's constant. I mean, the day I gave birth to my son, twelve hours later, I was back on my emails because I felt that I was had the energy I was sitting in a hospital bed doing nothing while he slept so what else was I supposed to do because that's what I do give the world better coffee (laughs) exactly (laughs) so you're sort of it's but it's but I don't think it's a bad thing I think it's it's great I disagree I I think I think there needs to be in a setup like this what you need is to have a good, healthy blend of everything, Yeah. right? So there needs to be, uh, you know, certain hours where you're discussing business, mm-hmm. certain hours where you're arguing about business, certain hours where you're, uh, you know, nurturing your relationship and yeah. going on a date or something, certain hours when you're arguing about your relationship, not about work. No, not right? about work. And, no. and, and I think the, a mix of that is harder for couples that work together than couples that don't in an interesting way. For most of us, we're unable to get that line where we say, okay, that's it. That's the end of my work day. Uh, That's the start of my family day. For um, a co-founder's husband and wife, I think it becomes even more a necessity to just simply say, that's it, right? 
I'm going to switch off my phone and I'm not going to talk to you about, I want to argue with you, but not about work. I want to argue with you about other things. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It is, it is needed. And it's something that we need to work on together mm -hmm. for sure. Anthony. <laughs> no, so what's the dream? I mean, you, you're very well established, I believe. I think that the restaurant business, sadly or not, is entirely about the detail of the operation. So it's never going to go away that you need to focus on every tiny little detail. But what's the dream? What so would you like to do? The dream is evolving because I, when I first opened Farm Girl in Notting Hill, my dream was to have one little coffee shop that I would run and I would work the tables and I would, it would be me and a team and that was it. And then all of a sudden... Such a beautiful dream. Really, like really nice. I'm mm -hmm. like, why, why am I not still there? But things happened and things evolved and I, I have no regrets. And then, you know, I've opened restaurants, I've closed restaurants down that didn't work. Tell me a bit about that. How hard is that decision? It's, it's hard because I found it really emotional. So I, we had a restaurant in Chelsea, not far from here. And we just, it was the wrong area in Chelsea for us. It was the wrong location. We had some advice on it and there's no one else to blame but ourselves. We were too young, too naive doing it. It didn't work. We tried to do a dinner concept. We're not a dinner concept. People love us for breakfast and lunch and it just didn't click. But it was sad for me because I worked with one of my best friends um, who's an interior designer and she created the most beautiful space. It was just heaven every detail was just perfect and then we were open for two years and then covid hit those two years were a struggle we just never got the numbers going and it, the business wasn't working from the outside in it looked like it was and people were when we closed people were shocked really shocked mm. and then I, of course still today i'm getting oh but i loved your chelsea site i was there all the time and i was like well where are all these customers because the numbers weren't there um, on the weekends, we did really well. Monday to Friday, we did not do well. And so we, you know, we had a bit of a falling out with the landlord at the time. So COVID, then we just decided, right, it's, it's time. So we lost a lot of money on that one. And I found it really hard shutting it. I was there packing glasses and, you know, for days. And I was the, it was actually one of my, be my best friends came and helped me because she knew I was so sort of upset by doing this. And mm. I couldn't be there when they took the sign down because I was, I found it really, oh. yeah, I found it really hard. My CFO and Anthony, they did it. The boys sort of went off and did it. And I said, yeah. good, because I can't even look, I can't lock the door. Oh. Um, but I look back, it's a ble it was a blessing that we, we closed that site because it was running the business into the ground. And, then we, and we had found this amazing location, which was unheard of to get this site on this strip. And I'd always loved this strip in um, South Kensington. So we were lucky. We sort of very quickly took this site, reopened with a lot of the furniture and things. It looks totally different because I just couldn't do the same. It was, mm. I found it really hard. Mm. <laughs> but no, but we learned a lot from that one. It was in many ways a big failure, but I think, you know, it's made us stronger. It's fine. And now the business, again, like I, I said. I love that you keep repeating this. It's a big failure, but it made us stronger. It was difficult, but it made us stronger. Yeah, I, I love it that. did. It yeah. really did. I think this is really what, what, what business is all about. I mean, most, most people, when they take a snapshot of a business, they think that, yeah, they always did the right things and they arrived here. But the reality is that most of the time you have massive failures going through it and, you know, and, and end up at a place where 
where it works, but that's not because it always worked. Would you recommend that others take the same path? I mean, in a very open way. First of all, I always had the dream that you had. I mean, my retirement plan was that I was going to uh, open a pie and coffee shop only for coffee lovers. Yeah. So if you if you didn't meet my standard, what a combination. I would, yeah, yeah. If you didn't meet my standard, I would ask you to leave. Yeah. You know, I, I was that I don't know if you've ever watched Seinfeld, but yeah. it's like the soup Nazis. Like, you know, if you really don't appreciate the coffee, I would politely say, Sir, you don't have to pay for this, but please don't come back, right? Yeah. And I had that very evil way. I, I stopped because of all of my travel and so on, but I made mean pies. Like I really loved it. And I was very, very creative. And I thought to myself, I will make one of every type. That's it. Like I will wake up in the morning and say, we're going to make six today. And I'm just going to make six types. And sell them by the slice. And sell sell them by the slice. And if you missed it, tough luck, come earlier tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. I had that meanness to me where I, all I wanted really was one place And then I'm sitting there writing. At the time when I was dreaming that, I was thinking I would sit there and read all the time. Just have wonderful conversations with the good clients that know coffee, right? And then look at me now. I'm traveling endlessly. And I wonder why. I mean, sometimes we you have to wonder why we don't live those dreams. You know, we, we, we just continue as life tells us. My other dream was to be a farm boy, the life that you no longer live. And I still am failing to make that a reality. It's quite interesting, actually. But do you want it bad enough that you could change your lifestyle to have that? Because you could easily go and live on a farm. People, I actually know a girl who just decided to move to Portugal. She bought a farm. She's doing up the house herself. She's a graphic designer. She's lived in a city her whole life. Uh, okay. Can you can you actually introduce us? I'm. I actually. So so this is. I'll tell you very openly that the one thing that is pulling me back is this is all I know, right? I have lived a life that was in such a fast mainstream pace and I do it really well. Even my happiness mission is in a very interesting way run like a business. It's very effective. It is really very targeted. I try to reach as many people as I can. I measure results and so on. Weird for a happiness person, but it's really one of the reasons why we're reaching so many people. And every time I think about that idea of, I actually considered buying something in Portugal, but I don't know if I can run it. I don't know if I, I mean, you know, one of the things that I really fear is, is wouldn't it be a dream to buy a, an olive farm in Portugal? But what if I mess it up and those amazing, wonderful creatures called olive trees died because of me? And, you know, I get those weird thoughts about it. Yeah. Do, you, do you think it's very difficult to live on a farm? No. It's amazing to live on a farm. My whole family lives on farms and my father is a farmer and he's an amazing man. And then when he comes to the city, he actually adapts quite well. I mean, I do feel sorry for him because he doesn't love the cities, but he suffers for days just to be with me here, which is so (laughs) kind. Good man. He's a great man. He's the best. Mm -hmm. But I think it depends. I mean, I would find it hard living on a farm now because I need the stimulation of a city. I I thrive in it. I need to be busy all the time. You know, I love obviously going on holiday and sitting on the beach for a bit, but I always find that I'm doing other stuff. I, I'm just, I'm going to the gym in the morning at the, you know, on holiday and then I'm this and then I'm that. I'm just not someone who can just 
sit and listen to birds and have a lovely time. I promise you, I can. Oh, I mean, I'm I'll, I'll, be write, I'll be writing six hours a yeah. day, yeah. which I think is a good thing for, for, for me and for hope, hopefully those who read it. But, yeah. but yeah, it's just, and, and if one, if one makes a commitment to a farm, does one have to be on the farm all the time? Like, can I do my half monk approach and live on a farm for six months of the year? I guess and then- it depends what kind of farmer. Are you doing it because you want to make a successful business of Not the farm? Not at all, no. No, and then I think you're fine. I want to eat some of what I plant and then give the rest away. Beautiful. Yeah, is that doable? Of course. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> you can uh, speak to some of our fruit and veg suppliers. Okay. You know, they're all actually a lot of our suppliers are, you know, small local families. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure they'll give you some good tips. I'm not intending to live in the weather of the United Kingdom. That is not. <laughs> it's you know, not that bad. Look, it's beautiful. It, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, this is you know that background is not real. No. <laughs> it is. It is real for a few days a year. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask you? So now a mother, an entrepreneur, and a successful businesswoman running around for the business all the time. What's your secret for happiness? My secret for happiness? I think okay. that is such a difficult question, I find, because there's so many things in my life that I give me happiness. And I just don't think it's, I'm so lucky. You know, my husband is supportive and loving. My son is just, I mean, he's eight months old, so he's the cutest thing ever. And uh, <laughs> and that's just happiness, you know. Uh, I have a supportive family, even if they're across the other side of the world. My All my in-laws, incredibly supportive. We have amazing staff. I just have a support network, and I think that is happiness. My friends are incredible. They, you know, they're uplifting. They make me laugh. That's happiness, I, I guess. Support network we never spoke about before here in slow-mo, I think that's actually a very interesting side of happiness to just have people that have your back. How, how do you build that? I guess being loyal, trustworthy, supporting them back, yeah. I think. Yeah, having their back, actually. Having their back, especially the last few years, it's been tough in different ways for so many people I know. And, I, you know, I've got family who have been through some things in the last few years and it's been hard because I'm on the other side of the world so you constantly feel guilty that you're not present enough and uh are you supporting enough by calling them once a week or sending them messages or uh, is that enough support you just don't know I don't I don't know it's yeah it's, it's a weird one I think the other side of what you said which you may not realize is the way you spoke about all of those people had ton of gratitude in it. You were simply saying, you know, I have that wonderful family, that wonderful father, that wonderful friend. And, you know, I think that idea of recognizing that, noticing it is probably one of the biggest secrets for happiness and owning a coffee shop where you can have a lot of great coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I should have said that. that, Coffee. I think that's one of my definitions of happiness as well. Yeah. Well, Rose, I'm very, very grateful for your time. I'm very grateful for your beautiful vulnerability of just sharing your story so simply and so openly. Uh, I'm grateful for you being an example for other young women to go out there and, uh, and live a dream of some sort, right? You know, start something. One of my biggest ambitions and dreams is that we enable women in through this podcast to actually 
realize the potential that they truly have in a, in a world that has consistently been unfair, I would say, to women. So, so this is a beautiful example of success that I believe should be followed. A beautiful example that says it wasn't that difficult, that, it, that you had the support that you needed, which I think makes a big difference uh, for everyone. And uh, I'm very grateful that you're hosting me here. I hope you will enjoy the guests that we will have. I will have a guest that will talk about why not to drink coffee. No, I would never have anyone to say <laughs> yeah. that. No, I, uh, I'm hopefully, hopefully going to have uh, a few episodes here in your wonderful space. Thank you so much for hosting me. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Yeah. And for all of you listening, uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, this wonderful conversation light and easy and from the heart. And I think you would have enjoyed it even more if you had a bit of the coffee. I hope that you uh, continue to support me as my support network to uh, allow me to continue to bring you some of the wisdom I find around the world in this new approach to slow-mo, the quest for wisdom everywhere. I hope you will enjoy some of the videos now that we are on YouTube. Whatever you do, just be kind enough to tell your friends about slow-mo, rate us positively. If you haven't already subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, or do whatever it, you know, they tell you to do in social media, because I'm not the best at that. And uh, whatever you do this week, find a little bit of a break time and sip a nice cup of coffee. And remember that you always have a little bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.